Hello and welcome to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. I'm Martha Sutsui Billens, and today's interview is with Kairu Nisa, who is a recipient of the prestigious Fulbright Scholarship and a PhD student at University of Hawaii at Manoa. She is doing work on the Sasak language, of which she herself is a speaker. Um, Sasak is an Austronesian language. It is spoken in Lombok in Indonesia. I'm really excited about today's interview because normally the narrative we hear is about an outsider researcher going into a community, doing their research, and then leaving. But while this is the most popular narrative, it definitely isn't the only story of how linguistic fieldwork and language documentation in general is getting done. If you are an insider researcher or if you know an insider researcher who would be willing to be interviewed and share their experiences, please email the show at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, Nisa. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to welcome Kairu Nisa. She is a th- third-year PhD student at the University of Hawaii at Manoa. She is researching interactional linguistics of the Sasak language from Indonesia, of which she is a speaker herself. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking time today. Um, to start, can you... Tell us where your interest in documenting and researching Sasak came from. Oh, yeah. So it's a bit long story. Uh, I actually, I started to have this interest since I was taking my, I was doing my master's degree back home in on Lombok, where this uh, language was spoken. So actually, linguistics is not my background, but then uh, when I was doing my master. My professor introduced me to this to this issue that how crucial for for us as Indonesians to start to pay attention to our local languages and then and I was looking for a scholarship you know and I saw this opportunity okay let me just start working on Sasa and I applied for Fulbright and I got the scholarship and that's why I came to UH and to my surprise here they offered me as an indigenous scholar you know they offered me a graduate assistantship GACIP as a language consultant mm. so that's how I got into more knowing of all this language documentation stuff because in addition to being a language consultant my professor here Bradley McDonald you know, and all the people in the class, they helped me to also do the stuff. So starting from that winter 2016, I always went back every semester break to my hometown and, you know, did my documentation. So you were a language consultant for the field methods class here at UH. Yes. Is that right? Cool. (laughs) And how was that experience for you? As a language consultant. It was great, but it also gave me a different kind of perspectives. You know, it's totally different when you are the consultant and when while you are the field worker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I even, yeah, when I work as a language consultant, I started to have more 
this sense that oh this, my language is so cool and then oh I didn't realize that it could work that way and then I compared the data that I gave to them right and the data that I got from from the speakers they come and somehow many interesting stuff coming up mm-hmm. yeah that's why now like I'm working on variations mm-hmm. yeah cool Can you talk a bit about your main research question for your research now at the moment, your PhD research? Yeah, so now I'm working on my qualifying papers. I'm looking at the sociolinguistics, uh, specifically applying socio- various in sociolinguistics in which I'm seeing, um, looking at the variation, like how my... Sp- So first off, I'd uh, like to tell you about the sociolinguistic situation. So Sasak language, where I'm researching on, uh, has a caste system and a speech style. So we have low registers and high registers. But most of the research so far uh, has been focused on the the noble people who have this access to the high registers, mm-hmm. but the non-noble peoples like They, they, yeah, n- not many research on that. So mm-hmm. I'm focusing on that and I'm seeing what strategy can my speakers use for politeness while they don't really have access to the high register. Mm-hmm. So I'm researching on the variation and like I'm arguing, oh, maybe they can use pronouns or whatever like that. And I found now that my speakers, they use more critics. And then if we link that to politeness strategy, they try to avoid uh, using the direct, like uh, addressing the second speaker, like the interlocutor. Instead of saying you, they will switch to the third person or the one person uh, plural. So I started to to quote those instances yeah, yeah. Well, that's really interesting <laughs> wow and so you said you go back every year to do field work do you go mm-hmm. back to your own hometown your home community or do you do research in other communities uh for now i'm still focusing on my own community so most of my speakers are actually my my neighbors mm-hmm. but it's interesting uh, in terms of dialectical grouping So actually, the the variety that I'm speaking uh, belongs to, you know, if we refer to Peter K. Austin, this belongs to Ngenongene dialect, but actually there are variations inside of Ngenongene, Ngenongene, sorry. So Phil Method, we named this Ampanansasak. Mm-hmm. Because it's spoken in urban area and there are like so many things going on in here. So we cannot really group it into Ngenongene. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we call it Ampanansasa. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so this is a distinction that had not previously been agreed upon? Yeah, you will not find, if you look at literatures on Sasa, you will not find something named Ampanansasak because mm-hmm. conventional grouping are you know this should be should be should belong to Ngenongane but it's not okay so I'm trying now by taking this uh, variation in sociolinguistics approach I'm trying to collect evidence to make know? a case for it being yeah, separate yeah that yeah we should see something in a different way 
nice. send of bags, yeah. And how has your experience as a community member affected your field work? So you say you you're working with your own neighbors. Yeah. Well, it's kind of uh, both, yeah. It's easy to get speakers because I don't really need to approach people, right? And then my my neighbors, it's also interesting. They thought that I went to U.S. for studying English, but then <laughs> what? You're studying our language? It's kind of cool, right? And mm-hmm. then, yeah, it benefits me also and also the, the speakers, right? Like triggers them. For their awareness, but it's also as a community member, all these social norms apply to me. So mm-hmm. it's like even last summer, it was very challenging because I'm researching this variation, and then my speakers are were all male fishermen. Mm-hmm. It was very hard to approach them because Lombok uh, is very religious so the majority is is Muslim and then for Muslim communities men and women have these barriers of like eye contact or the way of speaking so eventually I had to hire my my brother as my research (laughs) assistant that's how I got speakers okay yeah so you had to train your brother. Yeah, it was kind of funny because I, when I went home, I purposely, yeah, before I went home, we, uh, me and some students here in, in Gary, Gary Halton, we went to Kupang and we had a project there. And one of my friends, she came to Lombok with me for the research. So like at that time we had two researchers, right? It was funny because I found it easier for me to get speakers from, from my friends than me myself mm-hmm. yeah yeah do you think that's because people since they see you as an insider you have to adhere to the the cultural norms you have to follow yeah. the rules yeah so i think i saw my the communities they saw my friend as an outsider so it's okay to have like eye contact it's okay to speak whatever with, with my friend compared to me mm-hmm. yeah mm. Yeah, that sounds tough. And just going back a bit, so Gary Holton is one of the professors here at yes. UH, and yeah. uh, he took a group of students to Indonesia last mm-hmm. summer, right? Yes. To do, um, was it a fieldwork project? Uh, it, it was a workshop. Oh, a workshop, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in collaboration with Leiden University mm-hmm. and UNCRIS, the university in, in Kupang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there and well. Cool. Have you lost any data during your project? <laughs> of course, yeah. Like, yeah, not only data loss, but also because, especially in my first fieldwork, because that was my first semester, right? And then this this was all new thing to me, and I got really short training, you know. And then, <laughs> yeah, and that's how. And I lost. I think I yeah I did I did lost some some of my data. I mean, when I lost the data, I couldn't really ask my sleeper to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. What I did was, I didn't tell them, to be honest. I just asked them, um, could we pair you with someone else? And then I got a similar data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you tried to recreate the situation yeah. with another yeah, uh, researcher or another consultant? Yeah, another speaker, okay. you know. And I tried not to make them to produce the same, exactly the same, you know, because that that would be awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And 
What advice would you give to someone who's about to go into the field for the first time based on your fieldwork experiences? Yeah, like if you are an, an insider, the first thing to do is to to really make your speakers understand that your role there is as a researcher and then you do want to collaborate with them and this is like something crucial you know because you don't want your your speakers to take you as a friend mm -hmm. you know it's good to be friends but then we have to bring this issue up and then you uh as a member of the community you have to very you have to be ready for all the cultural norms that may affect you and you you should have plan b like if mm -hmm. you can't approach the male or female speakers what what can you do mm -hmm. you know you got someone to do that for you or whatever i mean you you should know better as you're the member of the community but once you wouldn't realize that until you're doing <laughs> you're mm -hmm. trying to get the data yeah yeah So do you have any plans for the future? When are you going back to the field? Or how are you planning on furthering your research on Sasak? Yeah, so I'm going back this summer, right? So I plan to have like a working group, like a, because uh, I teach at a university, but I, so far I haven't really involved My students, Here at UH? Yeah. Uh, no, uh, back home. In, so, Indonesia. yeah, I teach at a university. So, I plan to, to like to build a small group and then that can help me for data processing. And then I would, because speaking from my experience from giving workshop at Kupang, that's like I found the community were very enthusiastic so i plan to give like a small training and have the small group you know teach them how to do their own documentation and how to do the data processing mm -hmm. things like that yeah cool hopefully <laughs> great yeah good luck thank you nisa for chatting with me i really appreciate it um thank can you, you tell our listeners where they can learn more about your work or more about Sasak? Yeah, for now, I am still, yeah, I plan to have a website, but okay. once it's done, I'll let you know. Okay, yeah, <laughs> when it's done, let me know and I'll include yeah, yeah, it in yeah, the yeah. show notes yeah, uh, sure. for this episode. Great. Thank you so much. Yay. You've been listening to Field Notes, a podcast about linguistic fieldwork. This podcast is hosted and produced by Martha Satsui Billens with production help from Laura Satsui. Our music is by Lobo Loco, and our logo is by Evil Designs. If you have a question or fieldwork experience to share, you can email us at fieldnotespod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ling Field Notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us an Apple Podcast review. Thanks for listening. Thank you.